Thank you for tuning in to the Mile 40 podcast. I am Beshoy Tadros, the author of Break Barriers and Audacious, both of which are sold on Amazon. And I invite you to join me as I engage with guests to discuss those bounce back moments that we encounter on our personal journey. Mile 40 is a forum to learn about how athletes, professionals, and leaders of all backgrounds stared on moments in life where the only option is to rise up. The Mile 40 podcast strives to remind listeners that the comeback is always greater than the setback. Welcome back to another episode of the Mile 40 Podcast. Thank you all for joining. I can't say it enough. I'm so appreciative for you all as we close out the year here. Um, I recently released the Spotify report. We've grown almost 200% in terms of followers this year. If you haven't already, be sure to hit subscribe, whether you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It goes a long way. And if you can... Drop me a review. Today's guest is Brian Von Aken, Anken. Excuse me. Brian is a health and wellness entrepreneur who created the Wellness Growth Mastermind, a community of leaders dedicated to business and personal growth. He previously founded the Mindful Social Workout Anchor and has helped scale brands like Tough Mudder, Berries, and Othership as an executive. He's certified in wellness facilitation, breathwork, and group fitness. He also has a BA from Tufts and a JD from Brooklyn Law School. His mantra is know yourself and have fun. Brian, thank you for joining me today. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. My man, I'm so excited to chat with you because you and I connected and you know, beyond the bio, there's just so much more to your story. And what I love about your story is I think it hits on so many relatable points. And I think you know, so many assets of it could really hit home with a lot of listeners in the Mile 40 community. And so now that we got the bio part out of the way, let, let's dig into just, you know, where things got started for you. Where'd you grow up? Yeah. Uh, so I was born in New York, uh, New York City. I uh, grew up in Connecticut. You grew up in Connecticut. Um, and uh, what was childhood like for you? I was great. I um, grew up, uh, you know, in a nice small suburban town. Um, I was very lucky enough to be quite good at a number of sports and relatively uh, smart as well. So I kind of prided myself on I was the guy who kind of got along with everybody and kind of had his hand in a lot of different things. I, I was captain of the football team, but also was in the school play. Oh, wow. I, I, see, I didn't know that. That's a fun fact. <laughs> Uh, and, um, I know that fitness has kind of been a part of your life, you know, since childhood, um, talk to me a little bit about the fitness journey and, and kind of where it took you, uh, post high school. Yeah. So, um, well, so when I went to college, I, I played college football up in Boston at Tufts. And, um, if I'm being honest, I hated working out for a long time, at least in the beginning, because it was, it was such a chore. It was something that I had to do for sports. And it was always, I was a little undersized uh, for, for my position. And it was just like always something I felt like I had to do more and more and more of and um, ended up developing a much different relationship with it uh, later um, as I progressed in, in my life and career. And always just the big thing for me about working out, and I think a lot of people might um, resonate with this, is it's so important to find the thing that feels doesn't feel like working out or like has some fun to it right so i always appreciated sports 
those were, that was the modality that for me made it feel like I didn't even feel like I was working out, but, you know, subsequently I found things like yoga and, um, you know, trying to do all different other boot camp classes. And, and it's just kind of like, for me, it was finding the things that resonated most and then doubling down on them to become an expert. Awesome. Awesome. And then, um, you know, we talk about post, uh, undergrad, you went on to law school. Can you talk a little bit about the path toward law school and, and what made, helps you make that decision? Yeah. So the way that I like to look at this is, uh, I think I lived a should life for quite a long time. And this is something that I think a lot of people, um, might resonate with as well, where basically uh, I went to the good school, I got the good grades. Uh, and then after school, I felt like, okay, well, what's expected of me by society or by my parents or whatever it might be. And, and law school was, uh, as a lot of people probably think of it, it's the route that, uh, well, this makes sense. This is a, a next step and uh, ended up going to Brooklyn Law School. And just kind of from there, um, I was able to thrive, but I realized that I was not doing things, not just from the work perspective, but in a number of ways, not necessarily living from what I truly wanted and was living from other people's expectations. Awesome. And now if you're a listener, you might be asking yourself, all right, Pashoy, where are you going with this? Right. You keep digging into his bio and like walking us through some of the stuff that you already said. But the reason why I went this route is just because I wanted you to use the word should, because I understood that that is going to be a vital part of this episode. And that's going to be where the heart of, of your message goes. Um, and so you talk about how you applied the should life, um, you know, in, in terms of school and academics and even in sports, probably. Let's talk about your personal life, right? Because I think that's where we really want to dig into here. Um, and when you and I had met, um, you know, you really opened up pretty quickly uh, around your journey and some of the things that you had gone through. Um, and in particular, uh, one of the things that you openly admitted was you settled down pretty early in life. You know, I'm not saying there's anything wrong to anyone listening about, you know, settling down at an earlier age, but for your story, it was something that, you know, played a critical role. So why don't we talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I'm happy to. I mean, uh, yeah, essentially I lived the should life and like was totally fine with it and didn't think twice about it. I, married my college sweetheart and we you know we're we're very happy but um we ended up experiencing miscarriages and eventually divorce and what that experience made me realize is that i you know my brain couldn't process what it was like to uh kind of get off of that should life it had never really you know thought okay well what happens if if things don't go according to plan and so what i ended up doing is is getting into a really uh kind of dark place because um i realized that i was really really physically fit but i i didn't know how to talk to the people around me i didn't know how to tell them that i had friends who would take a bullet for me like former football players but i didn't know how to tell them that i wasn't okay mm. and i feel like that was something that i was never taught something i never practiced i think it's typical probably more for men than women but it's just something that really is very prevalent out there and something that i was really determined after that experience to kind of uh, course correct for myself. Let's just uh, share some details here. How old were you when you when you got married? I was thirty. Thirty when you got married. How old were you when you met your your wife? Twenty. 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 All right. So you know, ten years got married, and then how old were you when eventually you parted ways? Uh, I was I was thirty one. 
maybe got 32. It. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's a 12 year journey with someone that you were on. Um, and then, uh, you know, most importantly, you go back to the mindset and you talk about the fact that, you know, it was essentially ingrained in, in you around, you know, how to handle, you know, that kind of adversity. Um, and what I love about your story and what we're going to dive into is the fact that you were able to recognize it at a relatively older age for that kind of change, if you will, right? Like sometimes people come to those realizations more so like if I think about like the society we live in here, like people are experiencing that in their 20s, like their mid 20s and and they're addressing them or trying to address them perhaps before they settle down. Um, And, you know, you kind of had a different experience there where you realize that you were stuck in this mind, mind frame and this mindset after things kind of got rough and then you had to kind of pick up the pieces and go on from there. So after you kind of hit that, you know, rock bottom, if you will, how did you start collecting the pieces to figuring out a path forward? You know, what were some of the first steps that you had taken? Well, I'll be honest, the first couple steps were, were poor steps. Uh, okay. I did, I did what a divorce guy should do. I literally traveled the world and I, I went surfing. I, I found myself on yacht week and uh, you, you talk about rock bottom moment. I do remember a time where I'm on yacht week and there's all these people around partying and I have a drink in my hand and I'm supposed to be the happiest ever. And I'm just like, what the hell am I doing here? How, how did I, how did I get here? This isn't me. I'm following another playbook of what I think a divorce guy should do. And so what, what I ended up doing, and, and I'm not to say that it was like a switch, but I, I had always been very curious about mindfulness, meditation, yoga. And so I ended up really dedicating myself to try to go very deep into those different modalities to try to see what it was like for someone like me. And so I had never meditated probably more than 10 minutes in my life. And I went and signed up for a silent retreat. Mm. And this was like a full week of no speaking, only meditating. Uh, it was like base. It's kind of, I think of you, it's like trying to go run a marathon without ever running before. Uh, it's not going to go well. Like you're going to get beat up pretty bad. And that's what ended up happening. But I came out of it, um, really with a deep experience and a profound realization of if I allow myself to be quiet, if I give myself the space to reflect, there's things that I can work through to better understand what it is that I authentically want in order to be happy. And that was kind of the start. And from there, we went to you know yoga retreats and do things like men's work and a bunch of other modalities that I felt like I really wanted to up level on in order to take care of what I call total health. How long did it take you to take the leap to even sign up for that silent retreat? Like, okay, so now 31, you're divorced. At what point, how many, was it months, years later that you signed up for that? So... uh Talk about podcasts, listen to a Tim Ferriss podcast. I think he had done one. And uh, pretty soon after that, I think it probably would have been about six to eight months after. I mean, divorce is a funny thing, right? Like when are the papers finalized? When do you leave? Separation. So I I think it was pretty soon after um, the separation, I just decided, you know what, it's time to travel and it's time to start to, you know, try to look inward a little bit more. Sure. Um, I, I, I know I'm going to skip around a little bit, but I want to go back really quick to you talk about how you did some of the things that you felt, you know, you should be doing post divorce, right? And 
There's certainly a lot of listeners here that are potentially dealing with a similar situation, whether it's a breakup or whether it's overcoming a loss or whether it's um, you know, dealing with some sort of issue that nobody knows about. And, you know, I think we all understand the overarching theme here around avoiding the should. But let me ask you and and play devil's advocate a little bit. Was there any part of the doing what you should do as a, you know, a newly single, you know, individual at that point that um, felt right? Or did it all feel wrong um, in terms of just kind of following the should? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it was all part of the journey. I, I really don't I don't enjoy looking back and feeling regrets or feeling like there's a specific way that you're supposed to do anything. I mean, then that's kind yeah. of creating your your own shoulds. So I I trusted basically, I feel like ultimately there was a lot of fear inside of me. I was very scared of doing the wrong thing. And so I think what I don't like about some of the decisions I made was I was doing it because I was I was scared. It was like, oh, I kind of feel like I have to you know, oh, I missed my 20s. And so now I have to go do X, Y, and Z. And, you know, who knows if I didn't do that, would I have been able to feel so grounded and be in such a beautiful relationship that I'm in now? Like, I don't, I don't know. Um, and, and it's not like every moment of that was, was bad, but I was also like, you know, I think I I would call it New York drinking, right? It's like you, every night you go out, you end up having a couple drinks and that, that is something that adds up and you're not necessarily taking care of your health. And so it's like, at the end of the day, uh, it's not like none of it felt good. It's more that I could feel like I was a passenger in my yeah. own life. Somebody else was driving the car and it, it was really hard for me to find the strength and conviction to start taking small steps to start getting in the driver's seat myself. You know, it's a really good point that you bring up uh, around, you know, that feeling of being a passenger. And I feel like um, a, a lot of people go through life in, in the passenger seat uh, just because, A, it doesn't dawn on them that they've been in the passenger seat or, uh, you know, they they are maybe intimidated by the work it takes to get in the driver's seat. Um, and so, you know, those are two elements that kind of stand out. Um, are, are you the oldest child in your family? I am. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, just kind of the, I, I feel like usually being the oldest, there's that, that rule following, or there's that kind of, um, you know, leaning toward doing what you're expected to be doing or what you should be doing. And so like, as you were, you know, talking through that, I was like, let me ask him, I feel like he might be the, the eldest, um, amongst his siblings. How are, many siblings are you? I'm the oldest you, as well. You're the oldest. Okay. All yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm the oldest as well. And my, I mean, my, my wife was the youngest in her family. And, you know, she calls me out because she, she tells me that I'm the rule follower. Like I, I don't have any, like, I'm not good at like even small stuff, like bending the rules. Like, you know, like I'm, I'm admittedly not that good at it. Uh, and uh, so she calls me out on it. Um, yeah. And that's okay. I mean, that's, the way that I, I look at stuff like, you know, whether it's you're the older sibling or whether it's, you know, you just have classmates that are driving you to want to, you know, I think a lot of this can get conflated with uh, if you're a high achiever. I think high achievers uh, end up wanting to follow the rules because they want to be successful. And I think what is important is just having awareness of it all. It's very okay to 
you know, be super ambitious to go for everything, to follow all the rules, as long as you're doing it from the driver's seat. And I just want to give people permission to look under the hood a little bit. Like for you, if you're, you know, if there's a rule that you're a little, you know, feel uneasy to break, you just maybe add some playful inquiry to yourself. Like, wow, what's, what's this about? You know, is this really something, is this my programming or is this something that, you know, kind of was given to me? And, and that's one of the biggest things that I really care about is that, you know, everybody here, everybody on this planet has a choice of whether they want to, um, stick with the programming that has been given to them, or if they want to be able to, you know, spend some time working on changing things. And it's, it's, there's neuroplasticity, there's subconscious, it's like, there are ways in which we can move the needle on ourselves. That's not to say that we don't, you know, we'll still always be ourselves. But if there's any part of us that we kind of feel like is holding us back, we have more tools than we might think in order to make changes there. Spot on. And, you know, that's a really good segue to kind of go back to, you know, where you were then a couple months later, you did the silent retreat, you further explored, you know, the opportunity there. And now you're uncovering items like exactly what you just shared. So let's talk about that path there and the progression we've made from there. And again, just for contextual purposes, how old are you now? So I'm 38 years old now. So so we're talking about a six-year span. Um, and um, you know, looking at what you've done, you know, over the last six years and how much of that was impacted based on the foundation you had at 31, 32. Um, you know, it says a lot. So walk us through, you know, the the rest of the the flow from there. So then, you know, you start going to these yoga retreats, and then what happens? Yeah, I mean, I basically um, really go all in on, uh, like I said, developing these other parts of myself that I felt like I didn't have when I was younger, my mental wellness, my emotional wellness, being more intentional about social wellness, surrounding myself with people who I could be completely honest with. And it takes a number of different forms. But what I just come to realize by doing all these different experiences is that this stuff works. This stuff is really, really effective. But at least back, you know, five, six years ago, it felt really inaccessible. It felt like every place I went to, it was so woo woo. And it was like talked about in a way that I was like, you know, this just is hard for me to get behind as, you know, with a lawyer background, you know, the athletics background, you know, I, and, and I was able to get through it myself. But as I thought about kind of the needs of the world, right? I mean, you can get really macro on this sort of stuff, but you know, there's so much of this world, it's problems that can be really attributed to, I would say, mostly men not being able to know themselves and understand the emotions that are going on, which leads to so many subsequent decisions that end up being really harmful to, you know, the world in so many different ways. And so I felt really called to try to, how do I help bring this to those people in a way that is accessible and palatable that they might actually start to do the work? And that's what led me to start my first company. And when did that start? So that would have started, uh, it would have been right before the pandemic. So uh, basically... Which is uh, always good. (laughs) Yeah, well, I I guess I I gave away the punchline, but um, the the company that I created was called Anchor. And it was a mindful social workout. And what that means is just imagine um, a workout class, like a standard boot camp class, but infused into the class was meditation, breath work, group sharing, 
And the goal was to be able to check all the boxes of health in just one 45-minute workout. And so this was something that the reason that I did this, I think I mentioned it a little bit, is that I wanted to be able to bring this work to people in a way that was accessible and they are already are doing. So if you're already working out, why not add some of this stuff in there? And so we did the anchor workout. Um, I was doing it in co-working spaces in New York City. I was thinking about getting a studio space, COVID hits, and I move online. And we have a thriving online community. I'm really proud of the work we did during COVID. We had thousands of people come through and do the classes. And it was just something where I had never been an entrepreneur before. I was a lawyer. I was just like so following the rules. And this was a great exercise and experiment in putting myself out there and trying new things. And uh, it was a community that I'm really, really proud of. You know, you brought up a good point. and, And you brought it up before I got to ask the question around the fact that you were never an entrepreneur before. Um, and my question to you is, do you think you were more empowered as an entrepreneur after going through you know, personal adversity as opposed to if you had tried to become an entrepreneur beforehand? Like The way that I see it is that once you kind of face that kind of adversity and then you dive into entrepreneurship, uh, me personally... I'd feel like I'd have less to lose, right? And so, um, you know, and I think that's why, like, a lot of times I preach uh, putting yourself in uncomfortable situations, right? Uh, And putting yourself in situations where you're not really sure how things are going to go, because that's where you ultimately unleash your potential and you learn what you're capable of. And, you know, I'm, I'm not suggesting that I, you know, want people to go out there and destroy their relationships in order to, you know, pursue their entrepreneurial ambitions. But I I am saying that, um, you know, if you need to have tough conversations when the time requires it, don't shy away from that because of the fact that they may not go your way, but it's in those moments that perhaps you realize, you know, you do know how to communicate. You do know how to get a point across. You do know how to, um, you know, perhaps come to um, a mutual agreement with someone. And those are skill sets that ultimately get applied to, you know, other things in life. Um, and so um, I ask that because, you know, a lot of times when I personally want to take leaps, um, you know, in, in my own personal journey, um, a lot of times I, I shy away from that. And, um, I, I think to myself, well, there's always someone out there. And this is a saying I tell everybody, I remember going to my undergrad and talking to a bunch of students and saying, um, something to the tune of, um, no matter how bad your hand is, there, there's always going to be someone out there who will take it gladly. Like, especially, you know, where we are, right? Like, and Mm -hmm. so, you know, if you, uh, um, if you embrace that, it allows you to kind of really make the most of whatever opportunities you're given. And so I I see that in terms of how you approached uh, building Anchor, like in terms of like, you went all in. I mean, the idea itself is great. But as an outsider, I can look at it and think, huh, how does that even work in 45 minutes? (laughs) <laughs> right like how, how do you how do you how do you even bring that together and how like and uh the, the truth is when i think about what you had gone through and and the fact that you brought it together i understand like okay like 
he went in knowing like uh, he's seen some difficulty and that leaves him with a clear a clear head there and hopefully that wasn't a long rant but you no know what I'm saying? i i completely agree and understand with what you're saying i think the thing that i want to highlight though and this is where um i get really animated is I really don't want people to have to go through rock bottoms in order to get a mindset where they feel comfortable taking risks. And you don't have to start a new company, but to be able to live the life that you want to live. And I guess what I have come to see and learn is that if you go through the rock bottom, you're just out of excuses. But there is a way to do that work, even if you're you're just in your, your normal life. If you're able to put some intention behind it and to do the activities that start to unlock the things that allow you to start to question some of those unspoken beliefs, that's what you need to, that's possible. And so I don't want, you don't have to go to Bali and go, you know, do whatever uh, ayahuasca and, and, you know, like these are ways that people, um, I would almost say, you know, kind of get away from the main point, which is, you know, in your everyday life, finding ways to have the space for change. And so I think it is possible. It doesn't happen overnight. Let's not pretend it does. Uh, and it's not as simple as going to a therapist. I, I really believe that therapy is powerful, but it's not as simple as just going to a therapist. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think that, you know, and therapy comes up all the time on this show, and I think it's an incredible tool. Um, but at the end of the day, there's always going to be an element of self-work. Like it's not just lean. Like your, your therapist isn't a magician. Like you know, like they're not. You don't just go into the office and come out healed. Uh, there's generally uh, applications that you need to bring in your day to day after that in order to really see. Uh, the transformation take place. So I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I want to make sure that, you know, I, I do your story justice, right? Like, I feel like we went through the details. We talked about the learnings. We talked about how you got to Anchor, but that that's still just the beginning of Anchor. So after Anchor took off, COVID hit, you moved then to virtual. What took place after that? Yeah. So after that, um, I ruptured my tricep. Uh, I was teaching six classes um, a week. I was trying to run the business completely my, by myself, bootstrapped, uh, solo founder. Um, again, didn't know what I was doing. And I completely burnt myself out. I realized that I wasn't practicing what I was preaching. I was becoming um, irritable. I just wasn't myself. And so I found a place where I was able to hit pause on anchor and to take a step back. And what I was able to do when I did that is realize that um, I had a lot to learn. And so um, I didn't know anything about growth and marketing. I was so bad at social, which I still am not great today. But uh, I decided to really go all in on, you know, I'd say most people really lean on their strengths. They're like, I'm going to double down on my strengths. I decided to double down on my weakness. And I said, I'm going to become a growth expert. I love that space. And so I decided to, uh, I was able to get uh, a role as the head of growth at this growing um, startup called Othership, which uh, is a, it's a couple of different things. It's a virtual breathwork app, kind of like Headspace, but for breathwork, but it's also uh, a space that has physical spaces where it's a sauna plus cold plunge, uh, creating these wellness classes. They're amazing. They're coming to New York in uh, probably next year. 
But I helped grow them from uh, kind of zero users to their first, you know, 80,000 users on the app and literally launched them on Product Hunt, created an affiliate system, like did all sorts of reach outs, paid. It was like, I just got this crash course in growth and, and then met a ton of really interesting people while I was doing it. And then from there, went on to Barry's, helped Barry's grow their corporate partnerships uh, and corporate sales teams and led the team there. And so throughout this whole thing, I've just been meeting people along the way who are really, really great at their jobs and really good, generous people. And so I kind of, without even thinking about it, created this informal mastermind group, which for those of you who don't know a mastermind, it's just a group of people who get together every a certain amount of time. And they talk about the challenges that they're facing professionally and help use the group thing to help solve problems. And so I did this initially with just a couple people. And over time, uh, we, we have gotten to over 100 people uh, in the group. And uh, it's wellness professionals from uh, all, all kind of different companies. You know, we have some bigger companies like, you know, Levels Health. We've got Eight Sleep. We've got all sorts of different types of wellness because I, I consider wellness very broad. We've got mental health, physical health, all that sort of thing. We also have small startups who were, we're helping the founders kind of grow their network. We're helping them with growth strategy. And for me, it just feels like creating a community around generosity and holistic health and helping the people in the group to personally better themselves. It's like this win, win, win that I'm so, so excited about. Where does the should experience play in with what you're doing right now? Is it, more your personal, you know, experience and how it drove you to get here? Or is there any element of those learnings that you're now incorporating, you know, with regards to this community? And how are you doing so? Uh, because I think that's the heart of the mission if yeah. if I'm on the right page. No, you're 100% on the, on the right page. And I think at the end of the day, what I have witnessed from myself and other people in the wellness space is People who work in the wellness space are burnt out. They're not taking care of themselves. You know, this is, this is a, a big, you know, oxymoron in my opinion. And so what I'm helping people in this group do, and I'm just helping people in general do is to be able to question the underlying assumptions in their life to be able to help to find uh, pillars that they can stand on in order to kind of live a more optimized life. Because I really want to give people the opportunities to better themselves personally and professionally. And the group is doing that via these intimate groups. I mean, when you're in a group with like eight people and you see the same people every week or every month, you're able to develop a relationship where we're not just dealing with professional issues. It's also like, hey, you know, I'm really struggling these days uh, with, you know, insomnia or, you know, this relationship. We're, we're able to help on a lot of different fronts. And it's it's nice to be able to do that, but then also to really give people the tools to better themselves as well right because i think like like you said well, how many calls have you been on today oh. like if you were to <laughs> you got me on a bad day today yeah exactly right so but this this is so true of the modern worker right the number of calls that we're on during the day the amount of time we're checking social the amount of time we're on email and it feels like there's just never enough time and it feels yeah. like we're just constantly playing a game of catch up and that might be true, but it's very possible with small changes to tweak mindsets and to tweak habits with group accountability that you can then start to show up to your days in a way where you're, okay, I get energized in the morning and then I'm able to find my calls in the afternoon and I'm able to kind of debrief at the end so I could be present with my family. And it's like, 
just finding those little tools away. So I'm, I'm doing a lot of one-to-one kind of coaching as well, yeah. in addition to the groups. If you know me, you know that I like to look good and feel good. As an endurance athlete who trains daily, I need my wardrobe to fit the mold. Roan creates performance-driven clothing for your active lifestyle. Each piece is designed for versatility and made with integrity to outfit you for an active life lived on your own terms. The Roan promise is to help you move forever forward. Use code MILE40 for 20% off online and in-store for new customers only. Visit www.rhone.com, that's Rhone spelled R-H-O-N-E, or find your local store and move forever forward starting today. Well, what I like about what you're doing in particular is the fact that it it like transcends so many different elements of, of life. It's not like, like it can... It can apply to the big picture stuff, like, you know, relationships, for instance. But like you said, it's applicable to the day to day and the items that really only impact, you know, you as you're going through your motions. Um, and so that's where I see the, the broad application here um, and what really drives it. Um, you know, let's just kind of take a step back here around the differentiators uh, of your approach. Because we're growing up now in a in a time where, thankfully, health and wellness is at the forefront for a lot of people. You know, of course, we have a lot of room to run, uh, but I'd say that I feel like we're moving in the right directions as a society, um, slowly but surely. Um, but when someone, you know, approaches you around this, um, what do you kind of um, use in terms of like your differentiator uh, around your offering in particular? Yeah, well, so when I'm working with people in a one-on-one capacity, um, I like to say that I, I speak a lot of different languages, right? So I speak personal trainer. I've taught many, many fitness classes. I know what it takes to, you know, take care of your body from not just a strength perspective, but also flexibility, longevity, that sort of thing. And then I also really speak professional. I, I've been an executive. I've been a founder. I know so many people in, in the wellness space. And just in general, I've just been very lucky to have a deep network and to be well-versed in a lot of different tactics around growth. And so I, I'm able to speak that as well. And then I think the real differentiator though, is my ability to kind of speak in a more I don't like, obviously I'm not a therapist. I'm not even close to a therapist, but to be able to speak to people on the mental wellness side of things and the mindset side side of things, and to be able to talk about, you know, relationships and the relationship challenges that I've had and, and the ways that I've kind of optimized my own relationship and to be able to hold space for people. And, you know, a lot of people in this world don't know how to feel their emotions. And that's like a really, um, it's oh, it's a sad thing because emotions, I always say emotions are like sneezes. They're things that are really uncomfortable to hold in, but if you let them out, you end up feeling much better. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, educating people and getting them to feel comfortable to feel an emotion and realize that an emotion is not good or bad. It's just a thing that our body needs to do. And a lot of times, if you're able to fully feel an emotion, you're able to understand there's some growth and learning underneath it. And so destigmatizing that and being able to reach people on all those different levels, I think ultimately is why people feel like I'm a, I'm a bit differentiated than some of the other kind of people out there. Let me ask you a question around emotions. If you think about when you were 30 or 31, was there an emotion in particular that you struggled with, whether it was sadness, 
anger, whatever it may have been. And then today, uh, you know, several years later, are there any emotions that you struggle with now or that you feel like you need personal strengthening on? Just so we can kind of see the, the movement and the trajectory in terms of handling emotion pre-adversity and, you know, letting the audience know that you're, I mean, I'm, I'm going to make an assumption here that you're still working on honing yourself. Like there's, the work's never going to be done. Oh no, I'm pers- I'm a perfect cyborg now. Uh, yeah. Of course. No. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no. I, so I'd say that the, the younger me, um, you know, kind of boys don't cry type situation, yeah. uh, playing sports, you know, you never kind of want to show any shred of emotion. It's, it's a weakness. And so I think sadness was something that was hard for me. Sure. Um, and, and I also think anger, anger yeah. is something that, that was hard for me. I felt like there's not many spaces where I felt permission to feel angry. I'm a nice guy. I'm a nice guy. I don't, I don't get angry. What are you talking about? Um, but you know, going through my life, there were so many things that would anger me. Like somebody would cut in front of me, uh, on the subway or not hold the door. Like, mm. you know, when you're someone who follows all the rules and then you see people don't following the rules, it makes you angry. At least yeah. that's my experience. And so those were some of the emotions that were really challenging for me. And I, I was able to, you know, get way more comfortable with them and, um, you know, do things like an anger ceremony, literally like taking time aside, um, going into nature, being able to fully feel my anger and letting it out in a very safe way so that I could just, you know, really empty the lake that was the anger inside of me so that I was able to kind of show up because ultimately all anger is, is a boundary. Anger is you saying to the world, Hey, this is a boundary that's being violated. And it's, you know, this so healthy to say to yourself, to say to people, Hey, you're violating my boundaries. So that's one of the ways that I was able to work through anger. I'd say today in, in this day and age, it's, um, I feel like I have not connected with shame. I think shame is something that, uh, I used to be able to connect with more. Uh, it's a kind of an elusive emotion. And, you know, I think I can, there's, there's things in which there's ways in which shame is still very elusive for me now. And, and I, you know, I could really benefit from, I'm in something called a a weekly men's group, which is Mm. just a group of guys that get together every week and we hold space for each other and basically allow us to connect to emotions or what's present for us as a way to kind of, you know, not let things build up so much. I look at it as like an emotional gym. And so I I could do more work there around shame. And like you're saying, it's, it's ever evolving and ever changing. I'm about to be a dad, which is really exciting. I'm very, you know, who knows what kind of things will come from that, but I'm, I'm very, I know that'll be a whole new uh, proving grounds for me and learning and growth. Um, you brought up shame and I, I, I want to ask like post-divorce, was there a lot of shame? Um, and, um, what did you do to potentially quell it? And like, I guess what I'm trying to get at is shame is an interesting one because I think it more so than some other ones, like, I think it takes a, a while to work off the shame, especially when it's such a life changing event. Um, and I don't want to amplify it more than it is for you or anything like that, but I just want to be relatable to the audience here around shame, because I I do feel like, um, there are different levels of shame. Um, and when you kind of see it at, at, at that level, um, 
you know, in, in tr- I'm interested to kind of just ask really quick around uh, how you handled shame back then. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, when I first realized I was getting divorced, I said, no one's going to want to marry me again. Nobody's going to date me again. I'm a divorce guy. Ugh. Like, yeah. I never thought I'd be a divorce guy. Plus, I was in my 30s. My hair is graying. I'm kind of thinning a little bit. I'm like, well, no one's going to like me because I have all these, you know, flaws and and I'm not young anymore. And so I felt so ashamed of, of all those aspects of me. And I think you're right. Shame is not an easy thing. It can, it can feel like it's not an easy thing to let go because obviously it's shame. We're, we're so ashamed. We just don't want to give it any light. But actually what I found really helped and, and what ends up being the antidote to shame is shining light on the shame in a group of people who can uh, accept you fully as you are and honor the part of you that you're most ashamed of. So even if, you know, you know, I think that the, you know, I've been so fortunate. I have a partner now who just, she always tells me how much she loves me. The things that I don't necessarily love about myself, like, oh, I've got the, these wrinkles coming in and she's like, oh, I love those about you or whatever it might be. And it's finding people who you can um, receive what I would call unconditional love from and, and to be able to share openly on those parts. And then those parts are still there, but they have less of a grip on you if you're able to find that space and find that person to be open and honest with and have somebody honor you for who you are with that. Yeah. That's that's so well said, Brian. I really appreciate you walking us through that because I think that really brings it home around, you know, your experience as a whole and how it plays into everything that you're doing right now. Um, because, you know, it's these two SH words. It's should and and shame and the two of them you know draw a certain parallel with regards to who you were back then and and who you are right now um where back then you were leaning into both of them uh and now you're kind of staring them both down and making these conscious decisions on how to move yourself forward while addressing them, you know, in, in, in such healthy ways. And I, I really also appreciate the fact that, A, you got personal with us on, on you know, your own life experience, um, because a, a lot of people shy away from this conversation. And to your point, you know, like, I mean, I haven't experienced it, but I know that, you know, if it happened to me, I probably would have thought about it the same exact way that you did. Um, and so, you know, I, I appreciate that context. I'm, I'm sure there's a listener out there right now who's going to walk away from this and probably want to give you a ring, to be honest, <laughs> for some for some guidance. Yeah, I, I honestly like that's the whole reason why I would I'm so excited to be on on this podcast and just to talk in general, because I think one of the things that I feel like I'm I'm good at is I can just talk really honestly and openly and accessibly about this sort of stuff. And it's, it doesn't need to be so hush hush in the corner. It doesn't need to be so, um, you know, such a big deal. Like we can, we can be open and honest and hopefully my story and the way that I'm looking at things can be something that just cracks the door open to curiosity for people, just yeah. crack the door open. And, you know, maybe you contact me, maybe you just start, you know, looking at that silent retreat, or you like open the Headspace app, or maybe you you start to think about what is a men's group, or maybe you just start to um, read a philosophy book. It, you know, everybody can find their own way into self introspection. I don't think there's one way to do it, but I just want to empower people to just take that half hour 
you know, take that day. One thing that I do have, and I know we're, we're close on time, but I did create this free, like at home silent retreat guide Mm. because not everybody can go take a week away, but if you can take a day and a half and it literally lays out for you, okay, this is how you set up your space. This is how you communicate with the people that you love. This is the meditations that you listen to. This is how you do it. And you just try to make it really accessible for people because I, I, I think you can do this sort of stuff at home. You don't have to go to Bali, like I said, whatever. It just takes that little bit of time for you to be curious and to be able to, you know, dedicate a little bit of time to it. And you can really make big strides in in a sooner amount of time than you might think. I really appreciate that context. And to all the listeners out there, find Brian. Where can they find you, Brian? Yeah. So uh Weirdly, LinkedIn is probably my best. You just type in my name, Brian Von Anken. Uh, spelling is probably in the show. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram at the same name. Um, but I, I feel like really just just find me and and send me a message or reach out. I, I love talking to new people. That is the thing that uh, just gets me up in the morning. I love getting on calls. I, I've been on a lot of calls today too, but. Um, it, it's definitely something that brings me a lot of energy. So I'd love to hear what, what people think. So awesome, free awesome. reach out. You know, that that's the power of the Mile 40 family at work. And that's what this is all about. And that's why if I could ask for one outcome right here, it's that someone, you know, follows up to this episode, finds you, shoots you a note. And, you know, you just tell me, hey, someone reached out to me and, um, you know, you help them navigate whatever it is that they're going through. And so... I want to say, you know, most sincerely, thank you. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for just sharing, you know, so openly, being vulnerable, being authentic, um, and then really um, leaving us with takeaways here. Um, you know, your your time is, is really, really appreciated. So thanks for coming on. Thank you. It's really impressive what you built here. And uh, the fact that you're putting yourself out there and making these things happen is, you know, it's inspiring as well. It's inspiring lots of people. So, so keep it up and I'll, I'll keep on being a fan and supporter. Thank you, brother. Thank you for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode of the Mile 40 podcast, go ahead, subscribe, leave a review and share the word. Thank you for being a part of the Mile 40 family and let's unite in showing the world that comebacks are always greater than setbacks.